Good morning, brothers and sisters. I invite you to open your Bibles to Genesis chapter 27 this morning. I trust that you have already taken the opportunity to read God's Word. If you have not, uh, pause um, and uh, come back when, you're, when you've read. As you've read along through Genesis and as you've come to chapter 27, no doubt you were grieved to see the way the patriarchs behaved. Isaac's own deception, Rebekah, his wife, and her deception, and Jacob's obedience to his mother to deceive his father, and Esau's erratic behavior threatening to kill his own brother. As I reminded you last week, a theme throughout the whole book of Genesis is the constant battle, the division of family, and the war that goes on among brothers. Of course, we saw this first with Cain and Abel. And as the story of Genesis unfolds, we see that the division and divisiveness and deception among brothers only seems to heighten and get worse as the story goes on. At every turn, there seems to be some form of of deception uh, on the part of one brother over and against another. Uh, We saw this, of course, last week as Jacob uh, tempted his brother Esau to to sell his birthright, and, and Esau willingly sold his birthright for a single meal, forsaking what was rightly his. He gave it as a fulfillment, really, of prophecy as we heard that from the Lord that the older son, Esau, would serve the younger brother, Jacob. Of course, this was a reordering of of natural uh, societal relationships. In in the Near East, what would naturally happen would, would be the older brother would inherit all of the promises and blessings, and then distribute it among the family upon the passing of the father. But here through Genesis, we've seen a reversal of that. We've seen God choosing Isaac, and God choosing Jacob, and God uh, choosing Israel, or rather uh, choosing Judah later in the story of Joseph, and blessing Joseph and his sons over and against some of the older brothers in the family. God acts in His own way and for His own purposes. Friends, this morning as we read this passage, we can't help but see God's grace to save. I don't think that as you read this, you were confronted with much joy about these characters. Not one character in, these, in this story of the four that are mentioned really are, are praiseworthy. Every one of them just is ridden with sin and and rebellion against our good God. And so this passage reminds us that, that God will save His people by grace alone and not by works of the flesh. There is nothing commendable in either character in our story. They all fall short of God's glory, yet... God doesn't throw in the towel. He doesn't walk away from this family, but but rather doubles down on His goodness and promises to the people of Abraham. The story of salvation goes on. God will save His people by grace alone and for His glory 
alone. And so the purpose really of our time this morning in thinking about this particular story is to remind ourselves that our God is merciful to the worst of sinners. That it is by His gracious character and not our moral obedience or worthiness that He saves. And so let's look at the story this morning. There's a number of scenes in the story. The first scene, as you read it, began with Isaac's secret plan to bless Esau. Now, I'd imagine if you're like me, you've often read this story in such a way that you've seen Isaac is, is rather a passive character in the story. Now, it's very clear that he is a passive person, but he is not passive in what is about to happen. In fact, he is the one that, that almost brings it on. See, it would have been not been natural for Isaac to bless his family alone in a, in, a, in a tent off by himself, but rather to gather the family around and declare his blessings upon his son. We see a number of indications here in the text. Before going to chapter 27, let me remind you of verses 34 and 35 of chapter 26. When Esau was 40 years old, he took Judith, the daughter of Biri, the Hittite, to be his wife, and Basemath, the daughter of Elon, the Hittite, and they made life bitter for Isaac and Rebekah. You see, there was nothing commendable about Esau's behavior that would warrant such blessing. But we were told back in chapter 25 that Esau was the favorite of Isaac. So chapter 25 Verse 28, Isaac loved Esau because he ate of his game, but Rebekah loved Jacob. You see, what is happening here in the story is Isaac and, and Rebekah's marriage is fracturing. The love they once had for one another is now given in to their insatiable appetites for sin. We see this in Isaac's behavior. We're told that Isaac is blind. He can't see. He's old. And so he calls his son in and, and he wants to bless his son. Now we're, we're told in verse 4 that he wants him to go and prepare delicious food such as I love and bring it to me so that I may eat and that my soul may bless you before I die. This passage is meant to, to hearken back to what Esau himself did with his brother Jacob where he himself was given into his appetite rather than to wisdom. Esau, uh, rather Isaac here, is no innocent victim, but rather himself a part of a conspiracy to bless his favorite son, his older son, over and against his younger son, Jacob. Well, of course, in verses 5 through 13, we read about Rebekah's equal deception, how he, she de devises a plan to deceive her husband of all people and to trick her oldest son out of a blessing. These aren't just random characters that, that have never crossed paths before, but rather these are, this is a husband and a wife and they're two twin boys working against one another. It just demonstrates the depth in which we will go often to, to get what we want most. Rebecca here deceiving her own husband 
and taking away from Esau the blessings that were rightly his. Of course, Jacob goes along with the plan. He obeys his mother, so in verses 6 through 17. Now, he does question his mother a bit, but it's not because he, he isn't so concerned about what is going to take place. He's rather concerned about getting caught. This is why he says, what if my father uh, feels me and shall see to be mocking him, verse 12, and bring a curse upon myself and not a blessing. Well, regardless, we see that Jacob goes on and obeys his mother. He does not resist her will. It's fascinating, quite ironic. The one who will wrestle God in the stories that will follow, Jacob, is unwilling to wrestle his mom in this story. You see, Jacob wanted to, do, to deceive his brother. He has the birthright. Now he wants the blessing. Well, then in verses 18 through 25, we see Jacob deceives his father Isaac. The ruse is quite clear. He clothes himself and puts on his brother's coat so his blind father will not know that it is him. Even Isaac here in the story seems to kind of question. He, he kind of, I, there's a tension a bit. He thinks maybe something's up, but he goes along with it. As the story unfolds, he ends up blessing his son Jacob. And it's quite ironic in the story, and this heightened tension in the narrative is, is we're told that, verse 30, as soon as Isaac had finished blessing Jacob, when Jacob had scarcely gone out from the presence of Isaac, there's this sort of like, what's going to happen? Is he going to be found out? Well, as we're told, we, Isaac blesses his son Jacob. He confirms to him that he will be the inheritor of the land. That was made clear in verses 27 and 28. That the land, this rich land, that the dew that would water the, the crop and that the grain and wine would abound. This is a tremendous blessing for a people who depended upon the land to survive. Not only that, we're told in verse 29 that Esau would serve his brother Jacob. Now, as I reminded you last week, this is an important story for the nation of Israel. Right now, as they're reading this tale, as they're reading this story about their ancestors, they are traveling through the wilderness right alongside the arid land of Edom and being harassed by the Edomites. Now, the Edomites are descendants from Esau. And so they're reminded that God's promises continue through their father Jacob, and not through Esau. Well, as the story continues, Esau comes in weeping because it's discovered that Jacob has stolen his blessing. He comes to receive it, yet there is no blessing to be had. And he begs his father, weeping, is there yet one blessing that you can give me? And that blessing comes then in verse 39 and 40. Behold, away from the fatness of the earth shall your dwelling be, and away from the dew of the heaven on high. In other words, you're going to live in an arid desert land. You're going to live in a place. You're going to be a, a nomadic person who will never depend on the land. Verse 40, by your sword you shall live and you shall serve your brother. But when you grow restless, you shall break his yoke from your neck. Doesn't seem like a, a good family. Well, as a result of Jacob and Rebekah's deception, Esau plans and conspires to kill his brother. This again is a, is a hearkening back to 
Cain and Abel and the slaughter of Abel by his brother. This division among brothers is a reminder that God's purposes will work itself out through the seed. As God promised in Genesis 3.15, that the seed of the woman would crush the head of the serpent. There's, there's really two family lines. It's the, it's the family of Cain and the, the family of Seth. And we see that continuing to unfold before us. Well, like a good mom, Rebecca plots to keep Jacob safe and so convinces her husband Isaac to send Jacob away. And so in chapter 28, verses 1 through 5, we're told that Jacob is sent to, to Uncle Laban. And we'll pick up that story next week and as he makes his way to Haran and finds himself not one wife, but two more than that, we see that Esau tries to win favor in verses 6 through 9 of his parents by marrying an Ishmaelite, a close distant relative, rather than taking yet another wife from among the Canaanites. What are we to make of a story like this, filled with deception? Perhaps when you read this story, you thought, my goodness, these are God's people? This is how uh, the the people of God acted? How is it that God would work through such vile and wretched and and fallen people? I mean, there is nothing commendable in this marriage. This is is not uh, a story that we're going to use in marriage counseling and training up new husbands and wives. Clearly, this wouldn't be a, a commendable story to tell to our children about how brothers and sisters are to relate to one another. Remember that God does not save sinless people, but God's purpose is to save sinners. And friend, I wonder this morning, how are you tempted to doubt God's power to save you? Perhaps the enemy is tempting you to think about your past sins. Perhaps there's thoughts even now as you're sort of sitting in isolation, just like nothing but your own thoughts and You think about your past failures, where you've gone wrong, maybe in your home, with your marriage, with your your children, and and you wallow in your own despair over past mistakes. Friends, God didn't just turn the page on this family because they, they deceived one another. Rather, despite that, God continued to bless them God continued to show his favor to both Esau and Jacob. God continued to work through Jacob to bring about redemption. Just as he did through David, God used the the deception of David to bring about Solomon, the great king of Israel, the great greatest king that the nation of Israel had known. Even our Savior was deceived by his closest followers. Yet God continued to work out his purposes. Nothing would stop, nothing would derail God's plan of redemption. And neither will your sin, brother or sister. Perhaps there's sin right now in your life that you're wrestling with and you think, God cannot deliver me. My present foolishness cannot be delivered. Friend, will you turn this morning and trust that He who began a good work will bring it to completion. 
that God is both at work to will and to work for His good pleasures. Brothers and sisters, how are you using this season to grow in your likeness to Christ? You know, it's, it's easy for us to sort of take a snapshot of chapter 27 and see the, the depth of depravity. But if you will just read this story in light of the larger Pentateuch, you will see that God is at work in people's lives just like you. You see, Jacob was a sinner just like you, and and God will work on Jacob's heart. And little by little, Jacob will grow to reflect God's character in his life. Friend, how are you growing to reflect God's character in your life? Are you growing day by day to to look more like Jesus or more like the world? More than that, how does this passage strengthen your faith? That even in, in the midst of our sins and stupidities, God is relentless in His love for us that His sovereign grace cannot be stopped. I invite you to turn to 2 Timothy chapter 2. In 2 Timothy chapter 2, Paul is encouraging his young protege. He wants to remind him that he is secure in God's sovereign grace. He says this in chapter 2 and verse 11. The saying is trustworthy, for if we have died with him, we will also live with Him. If we endure, we also reign with Him. If we deny Him, He also will deny us. If we are faithless, He remains faithful, for He cannot deny Himself. Brother, sister, as you think about your own faithlessness this morning, perhaps your sin is glaring in your eye causing you to doubt and become discouraged. Let this text encourage you this morning that even when we doubt, even when we struggle, even when we are faithless, even when we do foolish things like deceive our parents or deceive our friends, God remains faithful. God's promises will not be stopped. Nothing we can do can derail them, but He is faithful. And He will bring us to the end. Let's pray. Father, we pray this morning that we might find our faith in You alone. In the finished work of Christ for our sins and our iniquities. Our sins are great. As Your Word reminds us that all have fallen short of the glory of God. I've fallen short this week. We've fallen short this week. We're reminded of our need for Jesus this week, the the perfect spotless one, the one who was deceived, but yet whose plans were not derailed. Father, may we entrust ourselves to Him until You complete the work in us at the day of Christ Jesus. Come, Lord Jesus, we pray. For Your glory and for our eternal good in Christ, we pray this.